It's going down there, Arky. Come down a minute, man. I ain't got it. I can't do it. Oh, do it what's wrong. happening? You're having trouble with the old, uh, the old generator. Well, it's down. That goes there. That has to go there. I've juiced that side of it. It was working fine yesterday. Bit of maintenance. I think I've bossed up. I don't know what I've done. I don't oh, know if I've put mate. it back wrong. Does that go there or not? Can you remember? No, well, it's looking fine. I think you've done a good job. You're I think it's okay. okay. Wait, wait, wait. Hang about. Oh, you've forgotten to press the on button. Oh shit! <laughs> give it a whirl, press it. I'll give it a quick press. Here we go. Whoa! See something like a bird. Oh man, I'm oh. glad I'm losing it. <laughs> all, all lights are on. That's something. Yeah, I mean, that means the light. We can shine the light. Oh out. maybe, yes. Let's get it. Oh. on. it's purring like a cat. Lovely. Well, it, is, it, it, it has it. So I mean, although you struggled there. You've taken it apart, you've cleaned it up and sorted it out. I mean, it's yeah, never it's sounded this good. I've well done, I've like greased it. and oiled, I've got every little bit of soap and polished. It's the cleanest little generator we've had in ages. Lovely. Chuffle <sighs> bits, mate. Chuffle. Come on, up these stairs now. Let's Come go upstairs. Up, 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 up. Where are we going? Oh, we're, up, we're up up to the study today. Ooh, oh, nice. I've been there for a while. The sun comes in nice this time. It's any well, sun, though. Well, it's, it's a bit changeable out there. It's not yeah. a day to be out and about, you see, because now we've done the jobs for the day. We've got the old generator up and running. I think we should get upstairs. Follow me up here. Up next flight of stairs. Yeah. Here we go. I'm coming behind. Oh, right. right, just going here into have study. Have you been casting? I have. I have yeah. been casting. I've got some treats for you. Oh, sweetness, sweetness. I've been shining the light out. Oh, I've been seeing now. all kinds That's purring. You casting. Yeah. Lovely. Oh. So settle down here. You're, you're, yeah. you're comfy there. That's right. nice. Ah. Right. So let's introduce ourselves. So uh, this is Kraken Cove, the podcast that shines a beacon onto the bazaar. And I'm Matt. And I'm Benny. How are you doing, guys? Good to, good oh, to not see you, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think we should all just settle down, take it easy, get ourselves nice and comfy. Yeah. And let's see where I can shine my light out. And the good thing is now I've got a bit of a bit of an update for you. Oh, a follow-up. If you remember the, the uh, in the last the last episode, um, we did a story, didn't we, about the uh, the, the ghosts in Indonesia scaring <laughs> yeah. people back in? Well, yeah, I've got man. a follow up here because Indonesia now locks virus violators in a haunted house. Oh, cool! Oh, let it be all yeah. creaky. Is it like our haunted houses? I hope it is. Just well, let's take Indonesia. a little look. Let's <laughs> take a look. This is from the Jakarta Post. So. Ooh. A volunteer keeps watch at a quarantine facility. A repurposed abandoned house believed by some locals to be haunted and used as a deterrent effect against those breaking social restrictions amid the COVID-19 coronavirus pandemic. So this is happening in a place called Sregan in central Java. So they're fed up with people violating the coronavirus quarantines. So they're locking them up in a haunted house. (laughs) 
quite severe, isn't it? Really, you know. But I bet they believe in ghosts quite a bit over there. It's a big culture, like you said, with that other one. It scares the shite out of them, all well, wrapped in toilet roll, hopping about. Well, I think it's. I think they do believe, but who's to say they're not right? Yeah, that's I'm the thing. Totally, you know, you know what I mean? mean? I'm yeah. still fifty-fifty with the old spooks. Yeah, so it's like a so the the Sragan Regency head, so the person in charge of the whole area is called Kusdina Untung Yuni Sukawati. Says that she issued the unusual edict this week to deal with an influx of people in the area after the lockdowns in the capital of Jakarta and other major cities. But what they find is some newcomers in the area aren't really sticking to the rules. Yeah. So yeah. they so they're sort of like they're out and about. So they're locking them up in this haunted house. <laughs> One at a time. You got to go in alone. <laughs> well, like it, well, that's a good thing. That's a good thing about it. Is five people have been tossed in the spooky jail so far, right? <laughs> And officials in the Sepat village chose this long abandoned ghost house, right, and outfitted it with beds placed at a distance and separated by curtains. So basically, anyone who's out there doing the naughty, if you can't sort of explain why, right. yeah, that's it. If you can't be trusted or explain what you're up to, exactly right, um, you get locked up and then you get forced isolation on Jesus. you. So, what do you think? Do you think it'd work here? I don't. We're a bunch of bloody. You know, muppies, are we? I don't know if we need something a bit more severe, you know, like a haunted big brother house or something. You know I mean? you need oh. Bit like... oh, you've nailed it. <laughs> we well, that's it what modern, we need. It... We? Well, this is the thing people are dodging around, pretending that they can't be seen and thinking, oh, I'll do what I want. Yeah, yeah. And you're thinking, no, we can see you. And if you think you can't be seen, we'll prove it by putting you in a bloody haunted big brother house. <laughs> that's what we need to do. I want a patent that show now. <laughs> That's an amazing idea. Can you imagine fright scaring all these violators? Yeah. <laughs> Plus, if you're winding them up, dressing up, and the ooh, oh, it'd be brilliant. Be super what? Cool, it? I, I think, I think, I think you're onto something. I think you've smashed it. This is what we need to do. I'm loving it. We need to but, do um, something. Jesus, everybody's everywhere out there. I keep getting binoculars out and having a look at mainland. It's like, are they still out there? <laughs> Silly buggers out there oh, on oh. beaches, all this sort of stuff. No, we need, we need to be good boys. we need is a few rules that's mm, what we need yeah. so I've, I've got um i've got a new story for you another story here and this is one that you might find a bit sad really because it's china cracks down on funeral strippers <laughs> <laughs> funeral strippers i've heard of professional criers um i were only talking to our last other day about it where you know in a, in a normal thai funeral and it's a very yeah. chinese tradition that kind of came down from china you'll get a professional crier so basically you know you, you want everybody sad and but you will get one person at the front wailing crying for the whole wow. generation and that's what they do as a job you know they're just really good at crying <laughs> but, what's mental, a, you know? but what's a stripper <laughs> what do you mean I've, absolutely well, i've been to a, a, a funeral in thailand and they did have dancing girls there and it won't all weird ping pong shit and all that bullshit. It's just part to get people to come to the funeral. More people well, at the funeral. There was literally a fun fair there and everything for this funeral. Well, that's is exactly it? what this is. Oh, is that's it? what this. Wow. Yeah, this this is a sort of thing. But it, it seems like a relatively new tradition. But let's have a little look into it. Yeah, yeah. So this is by um, this is one you like. It's um, Natalie Musumeci from New York <laughs> Post. Musumeci. Yeah. Musumeci. And it says. 
China officials have launched its latest crackdown on funeral strippers. So the country's Ministry of Culture announced late last month that we'll be targeting a slew of rural provinces for their obscene and vulgar performances at weddings, funerals and temple fairs. Yeah, yeah. Right? So as part of the new crackdown, a special hotline, <laughs> a haughty hotline, <laughs> will be set up for the public to report any funeral misdeeds in exchange for a monetary award, reward. God. Oh, so <laughs> they getting people... dobbed in more than left, yeah. right and centre with that. <laughs> it's been a long-time tradition in rural China for residents to hire strippers to partake in bawdy performances at funerals in order to attract a larger attendance of mourners. Yeah, so yeah. you're absolutely right what we're talking about. I've seen it. It's fucking trippy. They set up this big, dirty old fun farm in really like, you know, like from 1920s Dust Bowl America it looked like. Then this big truck came and it like uh, pulled down the sides and it had like a really old cinema reel on it. You know what I mean? Like a you know like the old projection. Yeah. yeah. And they put scaffolding up, did this massive screen. Um, and guess what film they put on? I was like, I'm thinking, God, what's it going to be like? Some really old Chinese classic movie or something? Can you have a so guess? So they put a movie on at the funeral? Yeah, they put a movie. They had strippers, uh, fun fair, uh, and then they had a movie and loads of beer know. and food. Indiana Jones. I don't know. Go on. <laughs> Expendables 2. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> this is so disappointing. I mean, like some kung fu movie or something. We're like, no, Expendables 2. And it was shit. <laughs> God fucking hell. Full fair, right? Well, that's funny you should say because they said here, according to the Global Times, who were reporting on this, uh, scantily clad women in sexy lingerie and revealing clothes showing off their bodies in front of an electronic screen displaying a black and white headshot of the deceased with text reading, we offer profound condolences for the death of this man. Oh, I didn't yeah. see that. That's rough. <laughs> yeah. They're all gyrating and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so right. is in describing a typical scene in which the strippers perform at a funeral... The crowd are pushed to climax, roaring with laughter, whistling, applauding and cursing as the performers saunter into the audience to jiggle their breasts and rub men's crotches. Oh, God. It sounds so disrespectful in a way, <laughs> but they see it like they're, they're bringing, you know, that all those people, they get it in the afterlife, you know, all those people sat around, they might be giggling and laughing, but they get, you know, lots of good things in the afterlife from it, you know what I mean? It's, yeah, well, this is it. That, that, that's what culture. a lot... Yeah, and it's it's saying it's uh, the peculiar practice dates back to the 1990s. So oh, that's yeah. not that it's long, not is it? Long at yeah. all, is it? Yeah. But but he reported that experts attribute the stripper performances as a way to worship fertility as well. So it seems like a little bit of a cross wire thing going yeah. on there. Like death in it, so, rebirth, and all the rest of it. It kind of makes half sense, doesn't it? Yeah, it says from the perspective of folklore, festivals and rituals such as the Chinese New Year a critical time for people to lay down their life and embrace death. Ooh. That's the moment for them to release their passion at the funeral. Yeah. So that's that's so weird, isn't it? You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, if, if it were like my funeral, you know, you won't be wanting bloody, um, you won't be wanting strippers here, would you? Can you what as Mamad think? I'd have strippers <laughs> at your funeral, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I wouldn't shy away from it. I think they yeah. deal with mourning better than us anyway, you know what I mean? Because it's like, we're all very reserved with death, aren't we? We won't cry, yeah. or, you know what I mean? We'll, we'll bottle it all in like the Britons normally do and we'll get a big, I don't know, ulcer out of it. Well, they'll like wail for days. I mean, they'll just 
really crying and crying and crying they had this song loop this haunting I wish I could find it I keep asking I'll ask to try and find out what song it is because it was like an old Chinese song this wailing woman and we never heard someone as sad as this woman I mean she was really really put passion into this awful song it's got a bit of a funeral song and it were it just on repeat and everybody was just crying and crying and crying drinking eating crying 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 but end of it they kind of get over it you know they're back to work in a couple of weeks and that's it you know they're very respectful of them of the deceased but they're, right. they're not bringing that mournful you know that sorrow that a lot of people do bring yeah. down with them they've never let it fully out and I think the East well, really does get it out I think that's a really interesting point I mean it's easy for us to look at like different cultures and say well we do it right and they do it wrong yeah, even yeah. even down to having strippers at a, at a funeral we're, yeah. we're very prudish and snobbish about this sort of thing <laughs> so but, prudish yeah but who's to say they're not right? I mean, yeah, you know, no, bloody looking hell. at both sides of things, I had a better time at Funfair than I did at, you know, me, me Nana's funeral, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> on the idea though the, uh, that uh, for example the people can't go out uh, and, and you, you, the physical contact at funerals isn't particularly a good thing is it no um, no. got a car it, or something yeah well well, I've got something here that could be pretty good which is uh, the idea that most kids now are being homeschooled at the moment aren't they yeah yeah homeschooling led an 8 year old to de- rediscover a long lost orchid now if you if, I'll just show you this picture here if you have a little look at that little flower down there you know Oh yeah, bottom. Oh no, it's, is it top? Yeah, I'll put it all the way around. Sorry, yeah, kid. Bottom left, yeah. Yeah, yeah bottom left. There. Oh, that's beautiful. Picture. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, 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 a, it's only a little thing, you know what I mean? Well, but what kind of look. I'm seeing there is like you know it's the long stalk. Yeah, it's pretty. Like, how, how do you describe them? Kind of like going down out. They're not reaching like up little, to the sun. They're kind of yeah, like um, just a little bell shaped. Yeah, little bell shapes. Just obviously, it's a pretty little thing. Yeah. But so this is a story by uh, 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 Amelia Maguire for Sydney Morning Herald. So, eight-year-old Arabella Hanish Jasiak was bushwalking in the Blue Mountains with her parents when she stumbled upon an orchid last seen more than 140 years ago. <laughs> cool. And she recognised yeah. it from homeschooling. <laughs> well, her parents, Jasiak and Sabine Hanish, uh, who have authored books on the orchids of the Blue Mountains, knew immediately that their daughter had made a rare find. So, the eight-year-old had discovered an orchid called Coronastilis reflexa that has not been seen for, actually, 145 years. Research scientist Mark Clements was able to confirm this. Miss Hanish told the Herald, He is the king of Australian orchids, so it was really exciting for Bella to help reinstate the species, right? Who's king so, of orchids? Is he claiming he's king of orchids? Did you maybe so, Mark. Well, I think he's he's the guy. He's like the the head honcho when it comes to orchids. Yeah, yeah. So uh, because he's managed to put his little sort of two penneth in, I think he's managed to turn around, give it the thumbs up, and say, "Yeah, that's the right. long lost species." You know. Yeah, yeah. So the family been taking a lunch break from their sort of like the bit of homeschooling and stuff. Uh-huh. But it seems to me that the, because the parents were experts already, uh, this young lass Arabella. She had her eye in already for the orchid. Yeah, she knew what yeah. she was looking for, you know what I mean? Oh, beautiful. I bet she's buzzing, I, though, isn't she? 
and I love that sort of thing, you know, yeah, because yeah. It, sometimes it's all as adults we think, oh, we're all experts, we all know what we're talking about. But this is the epitome of like a fresh pair of eyes, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. You can't beat kids' eyes. Like you on a beach, remember when we were youngins? You had oh. razor bloody eyesight, man. Oh, you were like loved a bloody. It. Mate, you were just scanning for hours, weren't you? You had a really good that's eye. All for it. That's, all, that's all I used to love, you know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I, think it's, I think it's really good. And, you know, because there's a lot of things now we're worried about, like people homeschooling and things. But this is a great example that homeschooling can be a really positive thing. Yeah. yeah. Perhaps kids specialise a little bit. Perhaps they pick up on the parents' passions for things. Definitely. You know, you, you, know, you can't all teach kids everything the same that they're going to be learning in school sometimes mm-hmm. you've got to sort of teach them things which they might never ever learn without this opportunity decent things so, to learn rather than the shitey curriculum but I'll, learn. Oh, <laughs> I'll stop there no. oh no I, I do agree I, I think I think the curriculum's a tricky thing it's not perfect by any means yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard to create a generalised uh, yeah I couldn't study. do it so. yeah I am but at the same time, it's like well, I think we we need to be a little bit more. We need to think more things like Crack and Curve. We need to be able to look at, at the wonders of the world yeah, with fresh eyes. Yeah, That's yeah. There is right. That's going out and finding nature, isn't it? And it's in the wild, yeah, you know, yeah. getting out and amongst it. But you know, sometimes nature's been coming inside. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, have you? There's lots of these pictures at the moment, isn't there? There's like deer out on the street. There's things yeah. like uh, people finding wildlife coming in where there were never wildlife before. And I don't know if you saw. This is just a little sideline. Did you see what flew over Leeds yesterday? No. Two flamingos. What? <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> a pair of flamingos flew across Leeds yesterday, and what they're doing is that they're, they're trying to phone around now. It's still an ongoing mystery, is this? That they don't know where they come from, but they're thinking they may have come from somewhere like Harewood House or one of these stately homes. They're thinking a couple of flamingos might have broken out, and they're just sort of kind of having a bit of a fly around. Yeah, yeah. God, that's amazing. But- Proper pink ones as well. Proper pink flamingos. I'm just tell you where they've come fun. from, near East Coast, and that's Flamingo Land. <laughs> the popular, <laughs> like. Yeah. yeah, but they could have done. There's every yeah, chance yeah. They could, that's where they could have come have flamingos from. flamingos at Flamingo Land, aren't they? You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's a big enough site now. Oh, not anymore. So it, it, yeah. So it's showing, you know, there's, there's, there's wildness going on all over the oh, place. Oh, that's lovely. I like that, yeah. Yeah. But there's a, this story is about this a toilet frog invasion leaves a Derbyshire townsfolk scared and baffled. <laughs> so this is a story Great by Brad tell. Baker. This it's, it's been, this has been all over the place. This has been in Metro. This has been on BBC, all sorts. But this yeah. is accredited to Brad Baker, which I think is a great name, personally. You know, because <laughs> yeah, Brad Baker. Yeah. So frogs have been photographed invading homes across a Derbyshire town, confusing and frightening people by emerging through sinks and drains. Oh, cool! Properly invasion. Yeah. So they're not sneaking in front door and he got it open. Oh, they're coming no. up from the sink. Have a, have, a little, have a little look at this. Is it? Have a look at this look. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. that's To be honest, that is a bit of fear as well, isn't it? You don't need to be going. So basically, I'm looking at a toilet. Toilet seat's down and there's a big fat frog. You know, basically where your butthole is going to be like on the... Unleashing <laughs> Unleashing hell. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Imagine sitting down. Is, 
I have to say as well, though, that particular photograph, if my toilet was in that in that state, I wouldn't be sending a photo of that into paper, would you? <laughs> it's true, it's minging, it's it? has got a right shit ring on it, Oh, it? not half. What have been doing? <laughs> we can't blame Frog for that. That's disgusting. Not at all. This is it. So, so let's read on. So, a number of Chesterfield residents have said that they have, on answering the call of nature, found the slimy green creatures scaling the sides of their toilet bowls. So the bizarre invasion was reported from three separate addresses in the town on that morning, of morning of May the 1st. So it's not that long back. Yeah, We're yeah. only talking a couple of days ago now. So what they're thinking is that they think frogs might have infiltrated the water systems and are now climbing through the drains, right? Right, yeah, yeah. So, um, when contacted by Derbyshire Live, this is a particular paper it was coming from, uh, Yorkshire Water, which looks after the town's water supply, said the frogs could be breeding in underground watercourses around Chesterfield. So, so some residents are using duct tape to block up holes in the sink, and they're all nervous about what they're going to find in the loo. (laughs) So... So what? I mean, what about you? If you were finding frogs in your bog, what would you be doing? Not too bad about the frogs, you know what I mean. I don't want one slapping against my Jenny's or out like that. One, <laughs> but if a, if a frog can get in, well, you know what I mean. I'm, you know what I'm thinking, rats. You know what I mean. Oh, I am frogs, yeah. fair dues. I could give you a, a nasty gumming, but a bloody rat swimming up. Don't you have a trap? On, I thought they had a trap in a toilet to stop stuff like that getting in. You know what I mean? It's like well, kind of a one-way yeah. system. No, no. no it's not it's not really no it's it's not a one way system like that no uh, it's um you you'd have thought it'd be you know helpful wouldn't you but i think to be honest the majority is just like an open drain isn't it oh, you know God. and I, I, I won't fancy all like that personally it's a good grief you know <laughs> screen up i wonder if they're all downstairs <laughs> toilets just out of interest you know what i mean so it's uh... Because I can't see him scaling up to the first floor, can you? <laughs> no, not really, but it wouldn't, wouldn't surprise me that the tenacious little things out there, and some of the yeah. tree frogs in the Amazon and things, they come, they're come. they only the size of your fingernail, but they manage to make it up the trees to the bromeliads, which actually uh, uh, grow at the top of these great big trees in, uh, in the Amazon rainforest. <laughs> what are you saying? One of them could be living in your clinkers? What are you saying? <laughs> <laughs> Well, there could be, you never know. I mean, it could be with you. <laughs> <laughs> with my butt beard, you know. <laughs> yeah, with your butt beard, that's the thing. But it, it, it's, it shows how tenacious these amphibians can be. Yeah. You know? No, so, but I, I think so. But I, I'm thinking it's probably probably ground floor loos, I'm guessing. So, yeah. a frog found in the, in the loo of a Chesterfield homeowner, Tezabella. What a name, <laughs> Tezabella. <laughs> Yeah, from Chesterfield, yeah. She captured footage of one of the creatures after it emerged from her loo. And she said, I've always been scared of toilets in case something comes up and bites us. Now all this has just proved it's not impossible. And her and her answer to this is, I'm going to have to stand and squat now. Oh, <laughs> nasty. I think you should clean your toilet, yeah. Tess. It's minging. Yeah, so yeah, I think I think to be honest, there's an expert called Chris Sewell, also from Chesterfield, said, whatever you do... Do not try and flush them back down the toilet. Ah, they're just so, going to come back, like... We're going to come back, I think, yeah. And it's not yeah. really fair, is it, the poor little froggies? They just want a home, don't they? The big time, like you say, they're not, not doing any harm, really. It's a bit decorative, if you ask me. Well, <laughs> the, the, a, retired from old, uh, a retired woman from Old Whittington said, I saw two of them, one on the wall of the toilet the other on the seat. I put them in a plastic container and took them into the garden. Now, oh, I think well she's done. got the right idea. Yeah, that lovely so, old yeah. lady. So, I mean, I, th- I think it's one of those things that just have to, you know, yeah, yeah, we all have to just 
celebrate the fact that there's wildlife all over the place. And sometimes it's just going to be in your shitter, isn't it? Exactly, we do well in England. example of this of where some animals can thrive and survive in adverse conditions is a crazy beast that lived amongst the dinosaurs a crazy beast a crazy beast right <laughs> and this is a, this is a B, this is a bbc story so we're going casting the light back in time now Ooh, so like we're, we're, oh this is it it's going back we're going back 66 million years i tell you and what i a, think it might be one of my favorite i love my space stories but i love it when you go back in time a bit of dinosaurs and weird animals oh pray tell i'm getting giddy already. yeah it's good it's good stuff isn't it well 66 million years ago it's about roughly around the time of t-rex is that nice so a cat-sized mammal dubbed mm-hmm. crazy beast <laughs> yeah lived on Madagascar among some of the last dinosaurs to walk the earth scientists have revealed so the 66 million year old fossil is described in the journal Nature, its discovery challenges previous assumptions that mammals were generally very small yeah, yeah. Usually, yeah, they are usually thought to be about the size of mice at this point in the rev- evolutionary history so re- researchers say this individual animal weighed 3 kilos wow and it had not yet reached its adult size, so it's it's quite a quite a unit. Now yeah, yeah. you have a little look on my piece of paper. Have a look Let's at this. Look. Oh yeah, yeah. look at that. It looks that loco crazy, but it's like a bit well, badger, isn't he? Really? Where's well, his ears? He ain't got no ears. No look oils at all. Well, I think it's the the reason it looks like it does because. It looks like a badger, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. No real ears to speak of. It's just got kind of very very low ears. It's a perfect burrowing creature. Yeah. So scientists think that the badger-like animal, known as Adelotherium huae, would have burrowed. And I think that's the secret to its success, you see, because it could keep out the way of the big old dinosaurs and things, yeah. burrow out, get out of the way and all that sort of stuff. It had a large collection of nerves in the snout, Ooh. making the area extremely sensitive, a feature frequently seen in burrowing animals. Yeah, yeah. So before mammals took over the Earth, they probably had to run and hide from the much larger dinosaurs that ruled our planet, not to mention other predators. The, the specimen was found in 1999 in northwest Madagascar's Mahajanga Basin, which is great, that sounds like something from the Arthur, uh, Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost Johnny. World, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, I like all this, you know. <laughs> it's the most complete and best preserved mammal find from Gondwana, an ancient <laughs> southern supercontinent that once included India and Africa during the time of the dinosaurs. Wow. So, however, when the mammal was alive, Gondwana was breaking up and Madagascar had already become an island. So it was already isolated. Yeah. Team members think that Adelotherium would have faced different types of predator as well as different food sources on the on the island to mammals living on the mainland. So it had, it had its own specialised problems and advantages that it had to deal with. This may have led to the animal evolving its large size. So it might be the case it's not had to come against particular vicious predators. So it's yeah. managed to thrive and evolved to be a much larger creature which I think I think is amazing really. it is amazing because you think you know your little mice are running around he, he's going to have a field day with all the other little mammals isn't he scoffing them and finding them with his little sensitive snout and that and you think if there isn't like that small dinosaur hunting his ass down there's just them giant ones he could scurry about couldn't he away from them all they'll have well, a, an happy little life I think 
I think you've yeah, I think you've actually hit the nail on the head there. Whatever animals were in that niche to be predatory to it, it now they're not there anymore. For it's an mm. island, you know, or whatever they may have fed on, it's made it caused them to go extinct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's ah, uh, that's the... big, isn't it? Like you say, for a, running around with T Rexes and stuff, that's excellent. Yeah, this is it. And he says the very complete specimen gives scientists a rare insight into a branch of mammals. Great name here, known as Gondwanatherians, that have, <laughs> cool. that have now gone extinct, right? But the name Adelotherium is translated from the Malagasy and Greek languages and means crazy beast. Oh, yeah, I forgot about the crazy beast. Yeah. Why is it crazy? The thing I think it's closest to to look at for me is a honey badger. Now, I don't know if you know anything about a honey badger. They're fucking psychopaths. Do they have a ball? Am I tripping out? Is that a dream I've had? Um, I'm sure. They find a ball when they're like young and they they really proper love it and they take it around with them. They have it in their nest. and Basically, they try to find the most spheric, if that's a word. Sphere-like, perhaps? Yeah, yeah. sphere-like rock. The smoothest sphere-like rock they can find. And if they yeah. just, but you know, they keep it in the burrow or whatever, and they love it, they proper like worship it. Um, but if they're out and about and they find another one that's even smoother, they chuck all one away and they bring that one back. Sure. Well, do you know mate. something? Well, I, you you've just found a piece of research I need to do now. This is so interesting. I've yeah. made a note. I'm going to look into this. Yeah, I'm going to do come... mix. I'm, <clears> I'm sure I've seen this. I might have been a bit smoked up one night. Can <laughs> watching well, telly, I, I'm, but I'm, I'm gonna... sure it was true. <laughs> I'm going to come back to you, because the weird thing is, you see, it's not just, if, if it is true, then it could be the case like the honey badger, which obviously is a bit of a psycho, um, if it's the crazy beast, uh, the um, Adelotherium huai, if it's anything like it, then it must be bonkers. Is there? No, no. All there might be some weird reason with it. I like yeah. a ball. Well, the weird thing is, we we do. Us humans have got a long history of enjoying little balls, <laughs> <laughs> flipping them about. So yeah, it's not just uh, it's not just honey badgers, you know, and crazy beasts that might like a ball like that. You see, <laughs> we humans have got a long history of enjoying balls, and not the kind you think. <laughs> I know how you think. I was thinking it. <laughs> yeah. So we may finally know the reason why early humans kept mysterious stone balls around. So this is from Michelle Starr from the sciencealert.com. Right? Yeah, rewind. Michelle Starr. Yeah, S-T-A-R-R. Oh, a bit of a double R going on there. That's cool. So ancient archaeological sites across the Northern Hemisphere have been littered with a mystery. Where there were hominins, or humanoids, there too could often be found roughly rounded spheres of stone. Some have been dated back to over 2 million years ago, with marks suggesting the balls had been deliberately shaped. New research has discovered a plausible purpose for these strange tools. Our ancestors could have been using them to smash open bones to get the nutritious marrow inside. So they look at what they're saying. These could be some of the very first tools, you know, shaped tools. Yeah, yeah. 
So an international team of researchers led by archaeologist Ella Asaf of the Tel Aviv University in Israel made a close examination of ten such stones found at Quesem Cave, a lower Paleolithic site occupied by early humans, now get this, between 400,000 and 200,000 years ago. So this predates Stone Age, this is pre-Stone Age, this. But it's showing that we were making tools. And it's curious because it's the latest known appearance of these tools in this area, right? A time frame when other communities had long ago stopped using them. Oh, that's a bit weird. So Asaf and her team investigate to find out more about these stones. So that's that's pretty weird, is that, isn't it? It's weird, but I don't see the um, the round. Why is it round that helps kind of smash into bones and marrow bone? I thought just like any old rock, give it a tap, get sucking the marrow out. Yeah, I'd have thought that too, you know. I think that's a bit sort of... I don't. I don't really know why they but need you, it. Well, I, when when you first, I thought you were going to say, "What do you think?" I have a guess what they're used for, and I would have said, uh, first of all, a game." I know it sounds, you know, they ain't got no time to be like playing footy or up like that back in the day, but I still think round the campfire at night, you know, they're like a, you know, like the moon, you know, like the, it's a good object is a round thing, isn't it? You know, it's a bit magical. Oh, yeah, a slingshot, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? Some kind of, um, you know, like well, if they were using the sling. Well, if, if you if you have a little look at, uh, on this piece of paper, a little look here, see what oh, you yeah. can think of. Yeah. Oh, they're like bath bombs, don't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is with them, you see, they're, kind of, they're actually quite big. Oh, right. sort of, I'd, I'd, I'd say size-wise, they're going to be about the size of... About a grapefruit, maybe a bit bigger than ah, that sort of thing. Ah, and that changes everything. Yeah. yeah, you could kind of like grind the uh, the bone, you know, like split yeah, well, it that way. That makes sense. I'm, if I had to guess, see, a rounded tool probably makes a better crack as opposed to a sh- just any old rock. Yeah. So you'd be, be maybe sort of like with a rounded tool, it sort of hits it and splinters it lengthways, the yeah. bone. Well, if you think about a pestle e- and mortar, you know, you've got a rounded edge into a rounded exactly. edge, haven't you? you know what I mean? So it, does, it is like a first pestle, isn't it, really? Yeah. And I suppose that's what you've got to be careful. You don't want, like little bits of stone getting off into your old marrow, do you? Yeah, yeah. You know? But as you, I, I think you've hit on something there as well. It could be the case that uh, they've maybe taken on like a ceremonial purpose of these stones as well. It's almost yeah. like a, uh, because they're so good and so useful for getting um, uh, these particular nutrition out of the bones, perhaps they revere these stones. Perhaps they pass the stones down from sort of family member to family member. Yeah. It becomes their sort of family sort of round stone for marrow use, yeah, you know. Yeah, big times so like the sword <coughs> going down and later on in stuff, it's going to be like your marrow stone. <laughs> yeah, well, well, they're all made out of dolomite or limestone, distinct from other rocks found in the area. And they had a different patina from other tools found in the cave. So this suggests that the stone balls were stored in a different environment for some time before ending up in the, in this particular cave. Mm. So, again, it does sound like they're either um, made somewhere else. They might even... even potentially have been traded by these yeah. stones. It's like you go out and, oh, we need a new round uh, marrow stone. It, you know, it could be one of these things. Yeah, I think go it's... get the goat, we need to have a swap <laughs> down at <laughs> well, well, this is it, it could be, you know. And it, yeah. it's, it, I think it's definitely interesting. I mean, I think as later on we use uh, our tools become much more advanced for like scraping and, you know, and the little axes, the round hand axes, were obviously very, uh, very advanced. But I think mm. something like this does give an insight, doesn't it, into how we used to eat things, how we used to go about. Because, yeah, yeah. I don't know, have you, have you had bone marrow? I've, yeah, I've got, done it with chicken and stuff, and it is quite sweet, and it's <clears> my <throat> favour. Have you? Oh, I, 
Well, I've only done it a little bit, but um, some mates of mine, what started became a really big thing in London for a while was the like you'd, the, you'd get like a baked beef bone, right? Oh yeah, they got a what? Like a big thigh bone or something like this, yeah. you know? And the whole thing's baked in an oven. But then it's used, you're like on like a bandsaw, they cut it open. Right. And then they lay the two sides of the bone out on a, on a plate, and you just scoop away at it. Oh, you can get it out. Oh, it's going to be delicious. Really dark, beefy flavour, really, really rich, and super good for you. Loads of iron in it, loads of you know, essential things. And, and I'm a fan of this sort of thing, because just like the cavemen and things... They really appreciated where their food was coming from. They had to hunt it. So that, I want to eat everything. I want to eat with a bone. I want to eat everything. Nothing was wasted. That's, That's how we it. should be. So let's have a bit more beef bone on the table. Do you yeah, not think? Massively. And it is really nice in soup. I think I've had, I've had soup stocked with bones and it was absolutely delicious. So yeah. Well, well, I have done that myself. I have done that. And the good thing is when you do that, by the way, you see you get a good bit of gelatin out of there. It's a nice thickener. It gives it that really nice consistency. Yeah, delicious. Stuff like that isn't going to kill you, is it? You know what I mean? Oh, no, no. Like you say, it's pretty good for you. You know? So that stone itself, you see, is helping you to live. It's helping you survive. Mm. But would you like to hear a story of a stone that might kill you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we go. So we have the ever, first ever credible evidence of someone being killed by a falling meteorite. <laughs> oh, you unlucky it, man! Oh, oh, that's <clears> like, <throat> I use it sometimes. That like you know you could die anyway. You could get hit by a bus. I said, well, you could be just sat there and a meteor could just come down and crack you on nugging, couldn't it? Oh, it's actually it could, happened, yeah. and they proved it's, it. Yeah, yeah, it's been proved. So luckily and ironically, we're back with Michelle Star again, aren't we? That's and a falling meteorite. It's, it's a shooting star, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's just Michelle that's just shot him. <laughs> well, this is it. This is Science Alert again. We're back with Science Alert, right? On 22nd of August, 1888, according to multiple documents found in the General Directorate of State Archives of the Presidency of the Republic of Turkey, a falling meteorite hit and killed one man and paralysed another Ooh. in what is now, yeah, in what is now Suleymaniye yeah. in the Kurdistan region of Iraq. Right? Fucking hell, fuck it. Like, how big was it? Did it squash that one bloke and they like, li- just squashed him a little bit, the paralysed dude? Well, <laughs> let's have a little look and see if we can find out a little bit more about it. So this constitutes, according to researchers, the first ever known proof of death by meteorite strike. And it hints that there could be more, more such records out there hiding in archives waiting to be discovered. Mm-hmm. Now, Earth is not an unassailable fortress. It's under constant bombardment of space rocks. Yeah, yeah. And it's estimated... Now, you get this, right? That millions of meteors per day hit the atmosphere, right? Yeah, yeah. So, to be fair, not many of them survive the atmospheric entry. But according to NASA's Fireball database, which, to me, I just think sounds so fucking exciting. <laughs> I, I, want, I need to dip in. In fact, I've got a link to it here. To NASA's Fireball database. At least 822... 
had been big enough to explode in the atmosphere since 1988. Wow. So it's raining down as meteorite debris. And some scientists believe that up to 17 meteors could actually hit Earth's surface every day. If you've got that data, I don't want to give you homework, Arkid, but um, there were one literally two or three days ago uh, on the internet, and, you, and it's, I think, I'm thinking Denmark, and I might be wrong with this, but you see it clearly go through a day, you know, it's a daytime shot. Wow. It's one of them security cameras just fixed, and you just see it screech through, you know, it's just this black, and then with a cloud behind it, and it doesn't blow up or it just kind of goes off into distance, but it's a, you know, it didn't cause any damage, it didn't land on anybody or cripple anybody, yeah. but it was like, literally, you could see it clear as day in a populated area. Because you think it's going to hit the sea most of the time, and it's really quite yeah, rare this is it. to yeah. land. Yeah. This go is on, it, so... Let's go back to these two dudes. Yeah, so, uh, so you'd, you'd think that someone somewhere would have been hit and killed by a falling chunk of space debris over the years, yeah, right? Yeah. But historical records have been strangely bereft of reliable reports. And even that massive one, uh, Chelyabinsk, I think it was, the Chelyabinsk meteorite in 2013. Ah. Now, that exploded in the atmosphere. Do you remember yeah, seeing that? mate, those yeah. pictures with all trees all like pushed down like some atomic bomb or something. Oh, no, that's a Tunguska. That's, right. a, that's, that's a Tunguska event, was that? Uh, th- this one was in Russia. It was only a few years ago. I think it was right. uh, seven years ago. Oh, no, and I don't know about it. Well, there's loads of footage because it because what was happening there was loads of sort of um, bad traffic accidents in Russia and people you know people pissed up on vodka yeah. were basically <laughs> crashing into each other all the time. So there was a massive boom in um, uh, dash cams. Yes, there is in Russia. I've heard that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is it. So, but because of all the dash cams, there's loads of dash cam footage of this particular meteorite sort of like Sweet. racing across. Yeah. And, but when it hit people, because obviously it was like it was like something from I don't know like a Hollywood movie. Because what happened when it landed and hit, uh, there was like a bit of a pause, a bit of silence, but then the shockwave from the impact blew out, and it just blew all the windows in the city oh, sort of thing. Oh my god. <laughs> it was mental, and it, the, the footage is absolutely astounding, and it's one of the first ones where you had a big impact, and we've got multiple video yeah, footage of the event. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, it's also, when it comes down to the size of meteorites hitting, you know, you, you know, me and you were sat here thinking, oh, wow, you know, you don't want to say something, for example, the size of, I don't know, like a TV, well, no, an old TV, say a microwave oven, yeah, someone yeah. coming down and hitting you, you think, oh, my God, that's awful. But if something that size actually impacted on Earth, it could leave a... I don't know, leave like a, a crater that's like a mile wide, depending oh, on the impact. Yeah, the speeds are mental, aren't they? <clears throat> that's it. So, but you might have been hit by a rock that might have only been the size of, I don't know, uh, 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 like a ping pong ball. Yeah, yeah. But if it's travelling at sort of like 27,000 miles an hour or something, you know, yeah. then that impact, it's, it's the gases, it's the energy surrounding it, It's the, that's everything that sort of like goes with it. That's where the actual force and energy is. It's not actually in the rock hitting you. Massive. It's in the... Yeah, it's in the explosion sort of thing. You, I mean, know. you look at shooting stars and that, they're like grains of sand most of the time, aren't they? And they're creating that massive, you know, display of burning up on atmosphere. It's like a grain of sand, it's crazy. Yeah, well, this is it, you know. But there, well, there has been another footage of it actually happening before. Um, so, according to a 1951 paper published in Popular Astronomy, the difficulty to provide historical evidence arises not from the dearth or the lack of apparently relative incidents, but chiefly from the lack of material evidence that the missile uh, involved in the accident were actually genuinely meteoric. 
A man was tragically killed in an explosion in India in 2016, and it was widely reported to be the first such death. So there's no actual evidence. It's just obviously a, a boom from the sky has come down and killed him instantly. Yeah. But there's no evidence to say it was extraterrestrial, but the chances are it was. So to the best of our knowledge, death by meteorite is vanishingly rare, and the only confirmed victim of a meteorite strike is a woman named Anne Hodges, who was napping on her couch in 1954 when the rock fell through her roof and hit her hip. Oh, wow. So the rock was retrieved, and it was confirmed to be extraterrestrial in origin, so it was a meteorite. But Anne Hodges survived. (laughs) (laughs) Bless her. Can you imagine you surviving being hit by a meteorite? Oh, on couch as well, though. That's like a safe place. It's like a, an old, you know, like the church back in the day, sanctuary and that. When you're on your couch, yeah. young over, you should be left alone. It's well, this is it. You know, some space rock. That's just mean. Well, this is especially in 1954. We know full well, you know, she'll have had a couple of uh, early afternoon martinis, no, won't she? <laughs> so when she's when she's napping on that couch, you know what I mean. <laughs> I bet she didn't even wake up. <laughs> yeah, at least you're a bit numbed without martinis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to Turkey though, what's the big what's the big proof of that? Did people actually see this happen? Well, although there is no rock to verify the 1880 report, apparently there was one. There was one, but the researchers couldn't find it. Mm. So the researchers found three separate documents describing the incident. They'd only been recently transferred to a digital archive, so that's how they're easily uh, discovered yeah, and cross-referenced. Yeah? Yeah. And they were penned in a difficult-to-translate Ottoman-Turkish language, which explains why they hadn't been uncovered before. So the documents are letters written by local authorities reporting the incident to the government. On August the 10th of the Julian calendar, as the Gregorian, so it's the August 22nd to us, at about 8.30 in the evening, a large fireball was seen in the sky. After this event, meteorites fell like rain from the sky for a period of about 10 minutes on a small village, resulting in the death of one unnamed man and the paralytic injury of another. In addition, damage to crops were reported, which is consistent with the fireball shockwave. All right, yeah. Yeah, so that's the thing. So it's that blast. So it's impossible to. So it's it's impossible to know the exact altitude, speed, size, and location of the fireball. But based on villages where it was seen, the research believe the meteorite travelled from the southeast before its pieces impacted on a pyramid-shaped hill in Suleymaniye. So I think that's pretty amazing. But if you think about that, actually, it's like a cosmic event. You got something blasting across the sky in 1888, killing a man, and then impacting on a pyramid-shaped hill. Yeah. I mean, come on, that's sounding just. There's more to this than meets the eye, isn't there? I don't know. Can I just? This is. I'm going to test your knowledge here, Matt, and I'm, I apologise, dude. But yeah. you know, we were on about the Great Newton Triangle. Uh, oh, the world, the world, the world Newton Triangle. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, there was a massive meteorite there in a similar year, like 1880 summer or so, <coughs> around that kind of year. That he's still there. In that there's a big. Um, you know, well, the, the, go on, I, can, I can I can confirm this. There's the uh, the there was a meteorite strike in the area, and I can even go so far as to say two things. Yeah, uh, I, I have been to that monument already. Oh, sweet! And on top of that, I have seen the meteorite. Oh, lovely! <laughs> well, do you know the year? Sorry, I'm, I'm taxing you with that one. Wait, I can't. I, it, it's, it won't it's like not... before 1900s, though, won't it? It won't like in this uh, century or whatever. 
Oh, and it was the 1800s. Yeah, yeah, it was, yeah. It was, So what it was is actually at, we stayed at Wold Cottage where this occurred. Yeah. Now, just looking through a few little files here, actually, the Wold Cottage meteorite, right, fell near the Wold Cottage farm in 1795. So it's a ah, full hundred years before right. this, right? I just thought it might be linked, you know, <laughs> same meteor shower, you know what I mean? But pretty- well, that's it, you know. So, well, it's the the size and scale of this particular meteorite is actually really impressive, right? So the st- that particular stone fell at around three o'clock on thirteenth of December, seventeen ninety-five, landing within a few yards of ploughman John Shipley. It created an, a, a crater only one yard across, right? Wow. So it must have been travelling and- slow. Someone slowed it down. Well. I think the atmosphere slowed it down probably quite a lot. Yeah, um, like you and skimmed it, it, it like a stone rather than punched through it or something. Absolutely. I think that's what it might have been. Something's happened so that it's at a weird trajectory that it's actually come through the atmosphere and slowed because otherwise it could have just decimated the, the whole area. I call you lucky bastard right <clears> next <throat> to that. Oh, I know, that's it. So, And it's only embedded itself, right? So it's embedded itself in the underlying chalk rock to a depth of seven inches, passing through 12 inches of topsoil. So what I like about this is they've obviously looked at this realise it's something absolutely bizarre and they've really looked into this, the local people have studied it and had a look and it says, as it was discovered at its landing point the stone was warm and smoking oh wow yeah, several people reported sounds of an explosion as it fell the owner of the land was Major Edward Topham a well known public figure, an ex-soldier playwright and newspaper proprietor right? (laughs) so he published the find and exhibited the meteorite publicly at Piccadilly in London now, the stone was actually 56 pounds in weight. So this thing's a whopper, right? This is a big, wow. old, yeah, this big old lump of rock. Is How this big thing. is it? What are we talking? Well, it, it, it's a well, No, 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 a lot bigger. With a lot of big, we're talking sort of like a, a big old lump of rock, let's say. Let's call it a couple of feet square sort of thing. You know Jesus what I mean? It's that sort of, sort of, sort of size. And this is... Uh, early analysis recorded two parts of the stone, an earthy part and a malleable part, which is a weird way of describing it. Mm. So the earthy part analyzes containing silicon, magnesium, iron, and a small amount of nickel. The earthy substance was similar to kaolin, which is like weathered feldspar, a little bit like a, a crystalline structure, but it was relatively tough. Now, I, I have to admit that what I have seen of this is just a tiny fragment of the yeah. stone. I've only seen, and it's actually within the cottage, um, it's framed on the wall of that cottage, wow. and just and just further up from the um, from the cottage, I'd say a distance of about half a mile from the cottage, there's a really really interesting and wonderful monument, um, which I've got photographs of, and which one time when we're doing our little thing of the the uh, Walls Newton Walls Newton Triangle, um, then we'll we'll go see it ourselves. Oh, you know please, what I mean? Please, Arkid. Yeah, I mean, it's I, a definite. I might be tripping out here totally, but I think that the full meteors. Is it cut into and it's in one of the big museums in London or something like that? It's they've still right. got it, yeah, and they've like chopped into it so you can see the cars. <clears throat> well, do you know something? I'm, I'm, I'm actually now I'm having a look at that picture and I'm feeling quite stupid now. Do you know what? what? I've seen that meteor. I have seen that meteorite. <gasps> oh, you've been to the museum and seen that as well? Yeah, I've seen it there. That's the one I've seen. I, I, I was there for ages marveling at that wow. and I didn't realize it's the Wald Cottage meteorite. <gasps> oh, that's so, super yeah. cool, isn't it? I love it. You're just yeah. interested. And that fell near Kraken Cove, you know what I mean? That can come straight yeah. through bloody roof. <laughs> it's our meteorite, you could argue, really. Oh, that, you mate, know what I mean? Yeah, it's... you couldn't get more local, could you, really? Yeah, so there we go. So we've got oh, like mi- mate, mystery that were rocks a good there. tale with that. That was, that were all over, wasn't it? We went all over the oh. world with that, right to back there. 
no weirder than the uh, there's nothing weirder than the the land itself is it you know what I mean yeah. the stones rocks things like that. we always think it's the living which is the weirdest things but sometimes it's things out in space sometimes it's rocky structures on earth sometimes yeah. the earth is doing things which we least expect it to do mm. so we've got a wonderful story here for you this is this is for me it's hot off the press i didn't even know about this until <laughs> until I, I cast the, I, I cast the light out this morning all right so yeah we're going to south america now right we're going to argentina how about that nice so but we can't, we can't go physically obviously we're just going to cast the light out yeah. and you know on a bit of a cool coolish gray day like today i think if we cast the the, the, the light out to argentina it just gives a bit of warmth what it be mm, nice that? yeah we'll right. soon come back We've got the mystery of the Argentinian rotating island known as the Eye, right? So this is just uh, this is a writer from uh, Sarah from SciencePost.uk, right? This is a mysterious floating island has been discovered in the northeast of Argentina. It is perfectly circular and moves almost magically around on an axis. These unusual characteristics have led it to be nicknamed. The eye. Oh, what is this in the sea? Sorry, Matt, but where the, where nope. is it? What are you? Want to look at that piece of paper? You have yeah. look at this here and look at look towards the bottom. We got two oh, pictures that... of oh, the eye. What the hell is that? <laughs> and that's landlocked. Yes. Oh, what the hell? Go on, tell me this is excellent. Look how round right. it is. It's perfectly round. So the eye, so intrigued by this strange formation, producer Sergio Newspillum is mm. currently seeking funding to launch a scientific expedition aiming to demystify this astonishing island. So, a little less than a year ago, while he was scanning through Google Maps looking for a location to film a documentary, Newspillum's attention was grabbed by a strange formation situated in the Parana Delta marshes in the northeast of Argentina. Hmm. The formation in question was in fact an island surrounded by water that had formed in a strange circular shape, earning it the title of the Eye or El Ojo in Spanish. <laughs> Sweet. The Eye is a circle of land 118 metres in diameter, <laughs> surrounded by a thin channel of water. The two circles formed by the water and by the earth are so perfect that it is hard to believe that the island is a natural phenomenon. However, while he was studying the island in more detail, the Argentinian producer noticed that the island seemed to be turning on its own axis. Oh, Christ, so, that is so odd. So by using the time control function on Google Earth, we discovered that the inner land is moving and turning on its own axis. <sighs> I'll just describe what we're seeing here. It's, it's, it's an area, green area of lush marshland. And imagine if, like, a hole was punched in it, what, say, 100-odd metres wide, but then ever so slightly smaller disk of Earth was within that, perfectly circular, in a perfectly circular hole of water, and it just kind of rotated around like a slightly loose fit, isn't it? Is that, so, does that describe... Yeah, it describes it really well. Just to clarify, though, is that completely on its own, that circle in the middle? You know, does, yes. does that land literally, you know, like bang around the outer rim of that you know watery disc that is crazy does it it's mad about? isn't it does that just float about Matt 
Well, it's not floating about. It's rotating like a, like a wheel within the what pond. What the hell is so, going on? So it's not actually just spinning. It's 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 kind of rolling around the edges of the circumference of the pond. Is what, that what is underneath? Is it just like a flat disc? Has he gone under it? Well, this is it. They don't really know just yet. But my no. thinking of this is, I've had to have a look at it and think, my God, that's insane. I can't believe what I'm looking at. But my theory is, have you ever seen these circular ice rafts that form? Yeah, on, on yeah. Like, yeah. I think what's happening there is a, a piece of the, I think it's all probably floating marshland, right? Ah, and right. A, and, a la- and I think a massive area of floating marshland is kind of torn away. Yeah, yeah. And over probably hundreds and hundreds of years, as it's been like with the magnetic force or with the, with the rotation of the Earth, it's been created like a play like a you know how water goes down a sink in a particular direction. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I yeah. think it's created like a rotational effect, and as it's as it's rotated, I think it's kind of worn away the edges of both the pool and of the island. Have you come up with that on your own? Because that is smart. Because I looked at that and thought that is if that isn't man-made, that is evidence of some higher intelligence or something. But you're right with that knitted format of marshland. You know, it's kind of like binded together, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And that knocking motion, it's gonna go around, isn't it? Both those things are gonna go around. You know what I mean, mate? That's a very good explanation. Well, I had a chance to look into it, so that's the thing. That's the only thing I could come up with. Yeah, yeah. Because the only time I've seen something similar is in the under those circumstances. Yeah, so that's that's the only thing I could come up with. You know, well, that's very good explanation. But Christ, keep me up. Updated with that, I'm gonna try and look into that. My own that is meant. So, is it marshland round it? You say that green kind of swampy look to it. That's right. But um, what we'll do is on a further uh, thir- further episode, we'll look into the the mysterious spinning island, the eye, and we'll get back to you with perhaps some, a few more answers. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Oh, please, mate. That's fascinating. That's uh, really worth looking up, guys. You know what I mean? Really worth <laughs> yeah. it. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna put a picture up on our Instagram as well, so you can have yeah, a little yeah. look there as well. You know what I mean? And that's so that's gonna be a, a uh, look us up at Crack and Cove Pod. So we've we've talked we've we're talking about the Earth. We've talked about um, the ball ship rocks that humans have been using. We, we've talked about meteors, right? And we're going to go to a different kind of rock now. How about this? What Scarborough right? rock? No, although that is a lovely, I love a sticker rock, don't you? <laughs> no, I hate it. Look at it, Rob. What's it with your teeth, mate? <laughs> Sugar pump teeth. There'll be splinters everywhere. <laughs> but do you remember a, a song by the Scorpions, 1990 track called Winds of Change? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're going to Yeah. <laughs> that well, one. that's it. We're gonna have a little. We're gonna have a little. We're gonna have a little. Listen to a bit of it now. I'm gonna go. Ten, we can have a free ten seconds of winds of change. Right. So there it is. That's that little bit of song. Cool. There, right? Cool. Right, so the question that's going to be asked at the moment, you see, and that Dave Lifton's asking, right, is did the CIA really write 
Winds have changed by the Scorpions. Christ, good call. Yes. It's so political. So political is that. And it would end the communism, wasn't it? Around that time when it was like the wall coming down and all the rest of it. Well, this is Hoff it. were so, on the wall, if I remember rightly. Yeah. <laughs> a, a new podcast will delve into the question of whether Scorpions' 1990 hit, Wind of Change, was written by the CIA as a piece of Cold War propaganda. But the band's singer, Klaus Main, is officially credited as the song's writer. So, produced by Crooked Media and Pineapple Street Studios, the eight-part podcast series called Wind of Change will premiere on Spotify on May the 11th, so in about a week's time, something yeah, like that. Yeah. And it'll be hosted by New Yorker investigator Patrick Radden Keefe. In this is a story that stretches across musical genres, across borders and periods of history, Keefe told Deadline. So it was important to me that you hear the music and the accents and the voices and judge for yourself who might be lying and who is telling the truth. I've had so much fun pursuing this crazy story over the course of a year, exploring the dark byways of Cold War history and doing nearly a hundred interviews in four countries with rockers and with spies. I can't <laughs> what wait to a mix sh- of people, yes! rockers and spies. I want to go yeah. to that party. <laughs> yeah, so Tommy Vita, the, co- the co-founder of Crooked Media, added, We know that the CIA covertly sponsored cultural events during the 50s and 60s. They paid for George Orwell's 1984 and Animal Farm, right, to be turned into films, right? God, wow. Yeah, didn't know this, right? So they sponsored a European tour for the Boston Symphony Orchestra, right? So why not help a German rock band write a power ballad to shred the Iron Curtain? <laughs> shred it, cool. Yeah, so it, so it said... Um, in 2015, Scorpion said Wind of Change was written after they noticed the difference in the atmosphere in Russia, after first touring the country in support of 1988's Savage Amusement, and then a year later for the Moscow Music Peace Festival. Um, the Berlin Wall came down in 1991, just a year later. Oh, right, so what I thought they were is, on the same day, yeah. Yeah, so the thinking, the possibility is that Winds of Change was the lever the power ballad song that did it, that brought down the boat, that shredded the Iron Curtain. Mate, I love it? that. I could just imagine him now with all the mullets and that, all, you know, wind in the mullets, power oh, ballad no. it down, and they're literally forcing the wall down with their power ballad. So what do you think? Do you think it's potential? Do you think Mate, they could I'll have done you what, it? That dude doesn't have to bring out his six-part podcast, because, yes, they did fund it. <laughs> it's true, though, isn't it? They were doing all exploding cigars and all loco shit. That's a smart manoeuvre in it, you know what I mean, getting the people on your side through music, of course you know, he did the whole hippie movement and you know, he's done so much with his music on earth, absolutely, especially it was done in 1990, rather than you know, I thought it was when it was coming down, I thought shit's changing, let's write a hit song and make us millionaires, and there's yeah. no way Scorpion dude's going to be like, oh I didn't do it, it was America writing for me, it's never going to happen is it, <laughs> it's like, give us back the millions, come on, <clears throat> exactly that's it. So I'm with you on this, and I'm 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 think I'm going to listen to that podcast though. I mean, yeah, so yeah. the podcast the podcast is going to be called uh, Wind of Change uh, by Crooked Media, and it's going to be out on May the 11th. And uh, I think both of us two can have a little listen to that and give everyone our point of view, what we think. Well, think I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to guess it now that uh, Scorpion's power ballad <laughs> took it halfway down the wall, and then the Hoff came, didn't he? Because the American oh. what's his full name? I can't just call him the Hoff now. <laughs> David Hasselhoff. <laughs> Thank you, David. David Hasselhoff, we're on top of it with his lump hammer, just singing and braying. <laughs> you know, that's the image I've got at the moment. He took the rest of the 
walled out. <laughs> I, I think he probably did, you know what I mean? That's the thing. Is the only thing that can break rock is more rock in it, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love it. With gold and great storm, I never will play the wild rover no more on its snow. Nay, never. No, they never no more Will I play the wild rover No, never no more So the- <laughs> So the thing is, right, right, we've been we've been working with a lot of hard substances now, haven't we? You yeah, know? yeah. So what needs to go is, is something right. We need to go something nice and soft. Yeah, right? that'd be nice. What what's what's one of your favourite uh, soft things that you like to have a squeeze of? Uh, um, uh, God, so keeping it clean. Uh, <laughs> fucking, you don't I need don't, to keep a it rabbit. Clean. <laughs> you don't need On to my keep it clean. Bag. My balls. <laughs> Your own balls, right? <laughs> yeah, I can't well, I'm alone. I'm going to bed and sleep, and I'm thinking, in my hand on my own balls again, what am I doing? <laughs> well, I'm more of a, I'm a, I'm more of a titty man myself. <laughs> oh, yeah, when I can get hold of the real thing, I'll be all over him. <laughs> well, sometimes even, even not the real thing might help, you see. So here's a story. It says, woman's breast implant deflects bullet, saving her life. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> are the whoppers? Are we talking? Have we got pictures? Oh, well, you have a little look on that, on this piece of paper. Have a little look right. at that. Oh, Top pictures. it's not the titty. Is that, is that the one that's actually got a shot then? That's the one with the bullet in it. Oh, wow. You yeah, you can see it, can't you? That. You can see it. Ew, so what's got? on this... that bloke's fingers? Um, oh, I don't know. <laughs> Probably a bit of blood. Yeah. Christ. So this is by this is by Amy Woodyat, right, for CNN. A woman who survived a close-range gunshot wound to the chest was saved because of a silicon breast implants, doctors Jesus. believe. In a case study published to the Sage Medical Journal last week, doctors described how a silicon breast implant deflected a bullet away from a 30-year-old woman's vital organs. Ooh. The incident, which took place in 2018 in Toronto, Canada, is one of only a handful of instances recorded in medical literature where a breast implant played a role in saving a patient's life. And the first recorded instance of a silicon implant doing so, surgeons Giancarlo McAvenue told CNN. Right, so they think it was definitely the, 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 the gel that did it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, so the, you, sh- you need to do ballistic tests and stuff. I've seen them shooting it into like weird gel, and you know they used to use sand, didn't they, and stuff. But yeah. I've seen like weird gel they use. Well, there's there's two types of breast implants approved for sale in the United States. They both have a silicon outer shell, but one is saline filled, and the other is silicon gel filled. Right. right. So they can vary in size, shell thickness, shell surface texture, and shape, and are typically implanted to increase breast size. Or to rebuild breast tissue, such yeah. as after a mastectomy or other damage to the breast. Yeah. Right? So, though the exact details of the shooting are unclear, the surgeon told CNN that the patient walked into a local emergency oh, department wow. seeking treatment after being tit shot. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, I think I've been shot in the titty. <laughs> so close range though we don't we do know that she, you know yeah. just like over at road or just some gang fight or something it will literally bang straight at her yeah. and she just took it ta- and walked yeah. off that's it she was talking and the trauma team was in disbelief as to how well she was the bullet wound entry was on the left breast but the rib fracture was on the right side 
So the bullet entered the skin on the left side first, then ricocheted across her sternum, right, which is a, 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 a chest plate, right? So it did hit her bones. Ugh. Went into the right breast and broke her rib on that side. Right. So it could be the case that these <laughs> bangers swinging around <laughs> so fast <laughs> from the bullet going in has, has broken her ribs. My <laughs> God. Send him so into he... war. You, we need some like big page three models. Like you say, we'll be, we'll be kicking everybody's <laughs> ass, won't we? Get, get Jordan. Get Jordan enlisted now. Send Jordan into war. That's what's needed. Send Just... Jordan into Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's all I can imagine now is just these big titted models <laughs> in really tight fitting outfits. You know, when they, they do it in America, you know, when they fire the guns, like the, you know, the, the revealing a bit and the, the gun recoils, getting everything wobbling and still bullets are pinging into them. And all. It's like, ah, da, 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 da. <laughs> just doinking off. <laughs> There's a movie in that, Aki. I think there is. I think we need to start making it soon. But unfortunately, me and you, we, I don't think you can really, really tempt too many big titty models to the uh, to crack and cove. Can yeah, you? no, <laughs> we haven't got a good track record there, really. No, we? We, but you know, we we can, we can hope, can't we? we can, I'll tell you that. I like my solitude, here, dude. They can do without it. We'll just keep looking at the pictures. Yeah. <laughs> Another, there's another sort of byproduct here we've got of, of a similar story to that, right? Which is a man is injecting himself with his own semen to cure his back pain. Oh, no. Oh, man, no. So this Any is, good this results, is, or? <laughs> well, do you know what? Let's find out. <laughs> so Mike McRae from Science Alert is reporting this one. Once a month, here we go, once a month a 33-year-old Irish man would fill a syringe with his own semen and squirt it into his veins and muscles of his right arm. Oh, Jesus Christ, what a nut. Oh, hoping it would, oh, God, I feel sick. Oh, <laughs> would make his chronic lower back pain go away. Is he pissed? Oh. What's he doing? What? Oh, God, I feel awful. Physicians like ringing his across... sock out, you know what I mean? Just... <laughs> <laughs> Did he? Oh, he's just getting the needle on. He's just sort of pulling the plunger out of his own belly button. (laughs) (laughs) Caught another good one. What am I going to do with it? I'll jack up on it. Jesus. Jack up! Why did he think it, though? Why did he think it was going to help your back? Oh, no idea. Physicians came across the unusual case when its its subject admitted himself into a Dublin hospital (laughs) following several days of lower back pain. (laughs) He brought on by lifting a heavier object, right. So, following an examination, medical staff discovered his lower right arm was red and slightly swollen, with signs of a fairly serious subcutaneous infection. God. An X-ray revealed signs of an abscess deep under his oh, skin. The patient disclosed it was most likely caused by recent injections of his own semen 
Apparently, back pain was an ongoing problem for the gentleman. I won't call him a gentleman. Oh, no, not gentle. <laughs> no, I'm the genitalman. Captain of it. And he'd, he'd come up with this. He'd come up with a rather innovative plan to treat it by introducing his own ejaculate intravenously and intramuscularly. Oh. oh. Well, what? It, all, all the dead sailors, all your dead seamen going in. What's it going to do? Why is that oh, going to help? me, no. So, for the previous year and a half, he'd been giving himself a monthly shot of his own self-made tonic. <laughs> 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 in, the, in the wake of the most recent bout of back pain, he'd even upped his dose to several injections. <laughs> oh, man alive. What's he just wanking and injecting, wanking and injecting? Oh, God, it makes me feel so ill. <laughs> That's just, that is <clears throat> A comprehensive review, right, was conducted with an emphasis on intravenous semen injections for the treatment of back pain as well as other medical and non-medical uses. So they have been looking into this. Yeah. And there, there was actually um, probably about sort of 60 years ago, 70 years ago, there was a big craze of actually what they used to put. They used to put goat and monkey testicles or glands. <laughs> Inside your ball bag. Oh, so they'd, what? So they'd cut your own balls up, and then they used to introduce like monkey, monkey knackers what? into yours, right? Sew so them back up and say, right, this is going to give you monkey strength now. Oh, and uh, this God. was something that was done years ago, but it was it was so dangerous. It just killed people like mad. But they reckon president, some, I think a president had it done, if I remember rightly. <laughs> fucking Trump. Uh, you <laughs> know, well, he's that's crazy. Yeah, a not. Of course he is. You know, the man's a fucking mental. That's giving me an headache. That was bad with semen getting jacked up. But someone's putting monkey testicles in your own ball bag. That's like I'm dreaming, is this? Oh, oh no. What? Just so bad, isn't it? Mm. So, but the studies, all studies have concluded that when it comes to reducing pain, let alone specifically treating back injuries, it doesn't work. Yeah, you know what I mean? Don't know. And as they've said in here, there's no doubt there's more to this man's story. Not yeah. that we'll get to the bottom of it any time soon, and possibly doctors won't either. The patient was diagnosed with cellulitis, a bacterial infection of the skin, and the doctors gave him intravenous antimicrobial drugs. But before they could administer further treatments, he discharged himself. <laughs> and went up and got a drip with a load of piss in it. <laughs> No, you've got to stop, you idiot. We won't let you back in hospital if you keep doing this. <laughs> it just makes me feel so poorly, does that? You know? oh. Well, just going, I can't get over them bloody monkey balls in your scrotum, man. But um, I did hear it a few years ago. If you, you know, let's say if you got your balls out uh, in direct sunlight, uh, the, yeah. test, the testosterone jump is mental. You know, if you're giving it like a 15 minute sunbake with your knackers out, the testosterone that you know surges through your body is unreal. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you, uh, do you, uh, do you advise this? <laughs> private place, you know what I mean. Uh, I've done it before. We <laughs> top of like we all know you've been downstairs uh, messing about crabbing and that. Uh, <laughs> Would have been at top of crack and coal. I thought I'll give it crabbing yourself. <laughs> yeah, I'll give it fifteen minutes of the old <laughs> sunbake. <laughs> The thing is, 
now it's getting a little bit late as well, isn't it? I mean, yeah, I, I, it. it's going to get to a point where we're going to actually need to switch the light on ourselves. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's where things are going. So, yeah, we've got one, one more quick story for you now before we can all crack on with our little jobs. So, in the pandemic... Ouija boards stage a spirited comeback. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. Yeah, we go. So, Hussein Kasvani, right? This is writing for the uh, MEL or Mel oh, magazine, right? right? I, don't, I don't know what this is. This is the first time I've come across this magazine. But um, old believers and new converts alike are trying to connect with the other side in quarantine and flocking to paranormal groups to share their stories. Mm. So not long after 23-year-old Emily moved for quarantine from her bedsit in East London to her family's terraced house in the northeast of England, she and her younger brothers unearthed a Ouija board in a pile of old dusty board games. <laughs> so her brothers, of course, didn't take it particularly seriously, and so when attempting to communicate with the spirit world, the words they'd conjure up mm. were correspondingly dull and just generic right yeah, yeah. but e- emily considered herself a skeptic too but she admits that she was definitely sincere when she asked for any spirits nearby to connect with her and the next thing she knew her hands were suddenly spelling out the word petal Whoa. the nickname her recently deceased grandmother gave to her Whoa, sweet eh? yeah so, given her dalliance with the dead, Emily is now a member of a Facebook group called Ouija Boards and All That Is Paranormal. So, apparently there's dozens of all these other ones, different different groups all over the place now, which have shot up, right, during the global lockdown. Mm. So, in fact, Carol Baker is an administrator of the Ouija Boards and Paranormal Experiences group, and she tells the reporter that she's currently receiving dozens of questions each week from people who either want to find out if their houses are haunted or if there were ways to communicate with deceased family members while in lockdown. Oh, I love this. This is bizarre. This is so of yeah. our time, isn't it? Go on. Yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And while some of these people have believed in the paranormal and the cult from the get-go, Baker notes that there are plenty of new converts out there too. And to that end, Ouija boards are now among the most popular items being bought on eBay and they are selling out on Amazon. Jesus, wow, I love stuff like this. Yeah. Like, mass, you know, people, all right, you might hear it from someone else, but everybody's kind of getting the same idea at the same time or lust for something. Cool. That's exactly it, you know. Well, the thing is, as well, if you think about it too, um, there's always a peaking, uh, peaking sort of like belief in the paranormal and in the afterlife during times of crisis. Yeah. So the, the the biggest boom really came before uh, came during World War One and after World War One, where so many people died and so many lost relatives and things like this. Oh, you're right. Was, Cause I'm thinking yeah. back in Conan Doyle's day, turn of century or whatever. Uh, but you're yeah. right. It was that bit after the war, wasn't it? Everybody wanted to see the loved ones again. That's where the massive spike and all the fairground, you know, the touring mediums and stuff came in big didn't they that's absolutely correct this is absolutely correct so you can see like a perhaps a miniature version of that here now it's not that everybody's lost a relative or something but there's something about that side of things which is finding very strange one thing i've been reading about recently is the massive spike in weird dreams that people are yes, having during the yeah, lockdown. Yeah, yeah. And again, yeah. It, it is straight Lovecraft, in it? You know what I mean? The sensitive of dreaming. But the amount of people I've been hearing that are saying that, they're getting the most vivid, crazy dreams. Yeah, well, I, I am as well. And what the, what the reason for this, they're saying, is because 
mostly our dreams are sorting out things that have happened during our day. So, for example, you know, you've been to the shops, you've been up to work, you've been on this, you've driven home, you've been trapped in traffic. Yeah. And it's just you, you, it's your brain sort of filtering through all these mundane and sort of like weirdly kind of oh, everyday activities. But it's basically based, based on your own physical activities. Yeah, but yeah. because you're not physically doing things, suddenly your brain, all our brains are switching to f- sorting out through the emotional, our family connections, yeah. how we actually feel about something, what our panics are, what our fears are, what our loves are, and our minds are actually starting to delve into those little sort of like unsearched cupboards in our minds. Oh, that's excellent, just switching yeah. on a dark place that didn't really use yeah. much, you know what I mean? Because it it's such a bizarre day, isn't it, now? We've had so many of them. Of course, something's yeah. going to change, isn't it? And it's so complicated, a normal day, just going to work, that person likes you, that person don't this problem that problem the worries of it all money worry. yeah, and then yeah. it's just stopped on it it's just like this weird gap in his existence well that's exactly right and, and the thing you have to think of here is not only is our subconscious de- sort of like tapping into those sides perhaps our conscious side is now starting to explore the spiritual yeah, the metaphysical yeah. and as such the need tools to do it the first tool they're reaching for is the Ouija board. <laughs> I don't think it's a good fucking choice to be doing, though. I'm a bit wet. Well, I you agree right with you. To me, it's misunderstood. It could be a gateway to fucking uh, the spiritualism, which is terrifying because you don't know who you're going to get. Or it's like, you know, it's opening a bit in your brain, you know, your subconscious kind of motor skills and stuff that, you know, it's, it's both equally as frightening, if you ask me. I, I completely agree with you. I'm I'm a little bit funny about the old Ouija board. I think you should never do any of these things lightly. Oh, you, you need to sort of like uh, approach everything like this, the unknown, with an element of caution. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't ever go there, you know, yeah, that you yeah. should ever sort of like, um, uh, ever sort of like have a look at it. You should always sort of tap into these things, I, I believe. But you should do it with caution and with respect. Yeah. And also, if, you, if you're not in a mentally a very good place, I don't think it's a good idea to do it. It's like, I remember a little lesson I had when I was younger, you know what I mean? I've always been interested. I've never seen a proper Ouija board. Um, we were, we, we, this was many years ago, but we were tripping balls in bloody Hyde Park. <laughs> and uh, someone was like, oh, yeah, look what I found upstairs in like rented accommodation. Proper Ouija board, you know, full box one, not an homemade one and that. And I'm just like, oh, this, and I was like, see you later, guys. I'm not missing that. I, I walked out of bloody room, went home, you know what I mean? I thought, you don't do Ouija board when you're doing fucking acid. And you certainly no. don't do Ouija boards when you're stuck at home. Because no. if it's as position your house, where are you going to go? <laughs> you can't start living with a poltergeist and that. It's like, don't do it scientifically. Do it safe and you yeah, don't yeah, be doing it when exactly. you're stuck in. <laughs> No, well, well, the, well, I, well, again, because this is another thing. Because your imagination is absolutely off the off the chart at the moment, yeah. and you, you probably, you know, you could you could see things or you could experience things which perhaps aren't there. Or if it is a question of saying the sort of like the wall between the realms, if you like, between the what the different sort of like the the realms of the spiritual and our world, the material world, yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Perhaps they do get a little worn thin if these things exist yeah. during these times. Perhaps the the lines become a bit blurred. So that's why it's perhaps people are actually getting more results with the Ouija board. Or it could be just their imagination running a little bit riot. Oh, man, you, you got know? my imagination there. I love that. With, like, thin yeah. Well, I actually, like, 
I've actually got one here. What? I've got a Ouija. Ouija? Yeah, I've got a Ouija board here. It's, it's, it's in the. Uh, it's in. It's actually in the study here with us now. Oh, but sweet. um, but I won't be getting it out just yet. But we might do a uh, um after everything. Oh, everything's sorted out and perhaps because I I would like to do it under these circumstances. Yeah, because yeah. everyone, like I say, everyone's mind's a little bit wonky. Yeah, but yeah. I think under under other circumstances, it might be fun to have a little go with that. I'll do that, mate. You're scientifically, you know what I mean. Just sit down and do Whoa. it properly. Yeah, I mean the thing is, it was actually uh, it was just sold as a, as a kid's toy yeah. for, for a lot of years was the Ouija board. <laughs> it's actually the name is a trademark of Hasbro toys. That's it, Hasbro. And then they got bought out by someone else who owns it now, don't they? I can't yeah, remember. There's another big it's games a, company so that owns it. I think it's it. Parkers or something yeah, like that. Yeah. It's the same people, same people who own uh, Monopoly, isn't it? I think yeah, it's, yeah, I think it is. You know yeah. what I mean? It's, it's, it's some, something like that. Waddington's. Waddington's That's I think it. it You're right, yeah. Waddington's. Yeah. yeah. So let's have a quick look at this, what it actually says about it, right? Uh, all right, so he says, uh, Haley Stevens, an independent investigator and researcher of paranormal claims in the UK, says that the inquiries about house hauntings have more than doubled since the beginning of lockdown, particularly from young people. Mm-hmm. So... She says, I think it's down to the fact that our routines have been greatly disrupted and we're all having to face our mortality, which naturally makes us start thinking about the bigger picture. Many young young people no longer identify with religions, so they're looking for other ways to find their spiritual identities. I find that really interesting, you know. Remember that, I I think we were reading about it last night, that one with the um, death cafes where they're using, is it it Zoom, that multi-platform thing where you can like get loads of people together in one place? Uh, and, And they're just like strangers meeting and they're just talking about death, you know, like how scared they are about it. You know, it's the first time in their life that they've thought about it, like it could happen to them and they need help and the the, the, the finding it was strange is, you know, it's like having groups of people together talking about um, people who have died, you know, some, you know there, there might be one chat room just for people who've been through a funeral, you know, and they can't get out of the cars and all that sort of stuff and they're kind of like grieving together online in these spaces. But you think, Weird. it is, I wouldn't say I like it, but I find it absolutely fascinating that, People, you know, suddenly our change, uh, behaviors being forced to change, and the the repercussions of it are just so bizarre and weird and stuff you couldn't ever imagine. Well, I think the way the thing we have to look at these things sometimes is that these uh, with any any occurrence, any activity, any any change, uh, there's ripples, isn't there? There's repercussions, yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen now. We, we when people say, "Oh, can't wait for lockdown to be over and then everything get back to normal," <laughs> it ain't never going to be normal, dude. No, we've we've we've, we've changed. Direction. Direction, yeah, and I think yeah. sometimes you need to change direction. And not me or you can actually say what's going to happen. Yeah. And we can't even get the answer from a Ouija board. Yeah, but I suppose yeah. with the fact that nobody does know what's going to really occur, um, that's what they're doing. They're just casting the question out, like we cast our light out. You know, it's, it's like yeah, one of just... Benny's like like uh, final thoughts on it. You know, he's like the idea of like if dolphins are coming back to Venice and the deer are walking down your neighbourhood and suddenly pollution is you know getting cleaner and cleaner the, the, the amount of positives that are coming out there is hope out there isn't there it's never going to be the same but thank god it's never going to be the same no this is it I mean is it the um, is it like a far is it the far eastern thing people say uh, is it the Chinese used to say was I hope you live in interesting times wow and that's that's, that's cool. what you could say these is yeah, yeah so man. Well, I, I think we've had a little bit too much interesting for one day, and I think what we need to do now is uh, get our feet up and have a little bit of um, listen to a bit of winds of change, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, mate. I tell you what, I won't mind a bit of mackerel on toast. Do you fancy some? Oh, ma- mackerel on toast yeah, and a bit man. of scorpions on the radio. That yeah. sounds good to me. Right. <laughs> oh. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> Give it that soon. So let's have a sign off then. So I'll say it's a goodbye from Matt. And it's a big goodbye from Benny. Right. You take care, everybody. Yeah. Stay safe. And we'll see you at the next episode of Crack and Cove. Yeah, take care. Wash your paws, guys. Wash your paws. Instagram at Crack and Cold Pod. Ha ha!